following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. This afternoon we celebrated, or today we celebrated, Christmas at our house. Tomorrow's going to be a little busy for me in the morning, and as for it is for so many of you, but then we're, we're leaving town tomorrow, and we thought it'd be something new, a new tradition Maybe not a tradition, but at least a new way of doing it this time. And as we sat around the dinner table this afternoon, we asked the very simple question, what was a good Christmas memory? We paused for a second just to think, and each of us went around. It was very interesting to hear that most of the stories that were told, most of the remembrances that came to mind were of surprises, were of something that surprised the individual. For me, it was a remembrance of being a pastor's kid and knowing my family situation, one where God always provided, but we didn't have excess uh, really ever. And Christmas was one of those times where somehow Mom and dad squirreled away enough money throughout the course of the year. Uh, They listened to us throughout the course of the year. They uh, were awesome at remembering somehow those lists uh, to Santa, the lists to grandparents from the JCPenney and the Sears catalog. Younger folks, someone else will explain, but a printed book, really thick. And I would write down page 64, number C, Uh, for the Steelers hoodie, or page 42 for the roller skates, or whatever it was. And coming out one Christmas morning and seeing basically the main things that I'd asked for there, knowing that my parents couldn't afford any of them, but somehow they were there, and I was surprised. For my family today, there was a season of life in ministry where I had stepped away from ministry, that it was a time of, of difficulty of working a couple of different jobs, uh, one during the day at a restaurant working at FedEx at night, loading planes so that I could have insurance to cover my family's needs, uh, of seeing the boys early in the morning uh, and then seeing them for a couple of hours in the evening, uh, but then working all of the other times. We had had to move out of our house and we were living in a temporary housing of a friend who just let us use an old townhouse while we were outside of Memphis. And we didn't have much. We didn't, surely didn't have money for Christmas, but through God's provision, people kept giving us Toys R Us gift cards. And they kept tallying up and tallying up. And the boys, to a T, said, we remember Christmas in the townhouse. And I'm thinking, wow, really, the townhouse that had an active ant infestation coming out of the dining room wall uh, that was just pretty gross and small compared to what we were used to having. And each of them said, but oh, I remember this, and I remember going to Toys R Us that night, and I remember uh, that BMX bike that we got, and we were so surprised, and I was able to tell them the backstory behind it of how God had just provided every single thing for us because God loves to surprise people. He loves to come up with ways to engage us in life that says, 
I wouldn't have dreamed it that way. I wouldn't have thought it that way. I didn't think it was possible, but yet God comes. And it's the same way with this story that we've heard read tonight. That the world was in a position of recognizing its lostness. It was a position to say, we are beginning to run out of hope. Most especially, it was the people of Israel, the ones to whom God had made a promise 14 generations earlier. And they were now running out of hope that Messiah, that the king, the true king, would come back and make all things right and new. And God comes and he surprises them. And he surprises us tonight with the manner in which and how he loves to give us gifts. And so the first thing that we see tonight is there's this incredibly bold promise that he makes And then he fulfills this bold promise in the most bizarre way. He has this bizarre plan of how in the world he's going to fulfill the promise. And then in the midst of that plan, we find a very beautiful purpose. So he's got a bold promise. He's got a bizarre plan and he has a beautiful purpose. But the first thing that we see and the first way that God surprises is that he makes a promise to his people. It's there for you in verse 23. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And we know by the reading of chapter 1 and also by going back and looking at Isaiah, and that was Isaiah chapter 3, the prophet Isaiah, and they were in the time of captivity or heading into captivity. And so we know that it was 14 generations earlier That God had made this incredibly bold promise. And the bold promise was to a people who had absolutely nothing, who were actually displaced from their home, displaced from their homeland, that they were living someplace else. And God comes in and He makes this incredible promise. Hey, I'm coming and I'm going to dwell among you. And you're going to see me in your midst, Emmanuel, God with us. And I'm going to come and I'm going to be born within your midst. And I'm going to come and I'm going to save Israel. What an incredibly bold promise. And one that was actually unbelievable for people to think. And then over the course of time, as one generation told that story to another, and the prophecy of Isaiah was read from generation to generation, you would probably imagine by the 10th and the 11th, And the 12th generation, they wondered, is God going to fulfill this promise? You see, God was making an incredible, audacious promise. That this was an incredible promise of which He was saying, listen, I am unlike any other God. I'm unlike any other religion in all the world. Because here is what every other religion says. Here's what every other worldview says. Here's what the the thoughts of the day in the Babylonian world, the Greek world, later on into the, the Roman world, and then now into the European, into the Enlightenment, into what we've experienced now in America, and what the world sees in Eastern mysticism says this, you are the conduit by which you reach God. Either by the emptying of yourself so that you can become one with God or by the doing of good things and not doing of bad things. By being a good human, by doing and working your way through a religious order, by a path and a labyrinth of incredible moralism or incredible legalism, or by doing things that are somehow, even at the end of your life, by acting on behalf of your God, even in doing horrible things 
that you're somehow going to gain access to him and entrance into his presence. And God says, it's not you gaining me, but it's me coming down into your midst and gaining you. God says this in this promise, I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to come into your life. What an incredible truth. Because what we know about ourselves is this, we're messed up. We might not be as messed up as the person sitting next to us, but we're messed up nonetheless. That we look around and we go, there's something intrinsically wrong with me. There's something that's, that's gone wrong. I know that this happens. We, we look and we can relate so much to the scriptures when Paul goes, I know the things I should do, but I find myself not doing them. And the things that I don't want to do, my goodness, I find myself doing those things. What is wrong with me is kind of what Paul was saying. And each of us can say that. Each of you, if you're honest, can find something for which you are so ashamed you don't even want to utter it with words or even in the consideration of a thought. That you go, ah. And God says, it's right into the midst of that mess. It's right into the midst of your life that I'm going to enter I'm going to enter in there, and I promise you that I'm going to do it. And the beautiful thing about what we celebrate at Christmas time is that God keeps his promises. What we celebrate at Christmas is the the answer to this promise so many years ago is that Messiah came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. That this promise that he was, a, it was to be born of a virgin and that he was to be Emmanuel with us deals with his humanity and with his deity. That he was a unique individual. He wasn't just a human who was really good. And he wasn't a God who stripped himself of his deity to become human. But he was fully God and fully man together there so that he could take our place, live the perfect life that we needed to live, to present it to the Father in his perfection in our place, to be our substitute, and to do it on our behalf perfectly as God. Isn't that incredibly amazing that this God entered into our mess and he made this promise to us? And then you're wondering, well, okay, how's this going to work out? And I imagine over the years and over the teaching uh, of time uh, that the Hebrew families would sit and they would consider the scrolls of Isaiah uh, and they would think about it and think, how is this going to happen? And I wonder even within the heavenly host, if they were trying to figure out how is it that God is going to then come one day and redeem his people? How is he going to do that? What's it going to look like? And he comes up with the most bizarre plan, if you're honest about it. Now, the birth of Jesus took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, that was, she was pledged to be married. Before they came together, she was, that means they were both remained pure in their physical relationship. Before they came together as husband and wife, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And when Joseph woke from a dream, the angel had come and spoken to him and explained to him what was going on. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. What a bizarre plan. You ever considered explaining this to somebody who's never heard anything about Christianity? 
Just consider for a moment someone drops out of the, the sky and has no concept whatsoever, and they say, now you're a Christian, you're a church person, you're, you're a religious person, uh, you, you went to church on Christmas Eve, that must mean you, you believe some of this stuff. Tell me, what is it that you believe? How is it that God is going to fulfill this promise that says He's going to dwell among us? And you find yourself going like this. Well, you see, it was a long time ago in... Nazareth of Galilee, which was this tiny little town really made up of Joseph's family group and of Mary's family group. So they were probably distant relatives and they, everyone knew each other and they were in Israel, which was this tiny little country, which was currently uh, in the ancient Near East. It was currently under the, the rule of Rome and Rome was there and that Rome was the greatest power in the world. And so the God was going to come and he was going to impregnate Mary, this virgin 13 or 14 year old girl, and she was going to bear a son who was going to be raised by Joseph, who was not his father, but was going to be his earthly father, but his heavenly father was God. And he was truly the second person of the Trinity. And he was going to grow up and at the age of 30 was going to begin his earthly ministry. And at 33, he was going to go to a cross and he was going to die on a cross for our sins, but then on the third day he was going to raise from the dead, he was going to ascend into heaven, that he was going to sit at the right hand of God, and that we gain access to God, we have forgiveness of our sins, we have all of this if we just believe this is true. How do you think folks would respond to you? Like, okay, so you're telling me that a virgin gave birth to a child and No, no, no. Because this is how it really should happen. Because if the king of the universe, if God, the creator of all things, was going to come and take up residency within the world, he would, have, he would wait until today. We're the most modern time in all of the world. At least he could have been, I mean, because now we have media that everybody can understand this at the same time. Oprah would have had him on a special. Barbara Walters would have messed, had to have him uh, on a special. He would have done a world tour. He would have been around. Everybody could have seen him. He would have been able to do all of this so much better now. Everybody would have hailed him. You've got to be kidding that he would come and within this bizarre, crazy plan, he would have done it back then? And the answer is yes, that's God's bizarre, crazy plan. Because you see the thing about this God whom you come and you serve tonight by worshiping him. This God in whom we come and we recognize is this. He says, I do things differently than you do. I have plans that are higher than your plans. I have ways that are different and distinct from your ways. And it forces you to give up sometimes some of your human reason. You don't set your brain aside to come into Christianity. Christianity, quite honestly, stimulates the brain more than anything else. And we have to think and it takes our intellect. But we have to look and say, God does things differently. And the beauty of this bizarre plan is that God is saying to us this. I'm willing to condescend myself to come and to save you. I'm coming, the God who could be recognized by trees and by mountains and that the rocks would cry out and that all of creation would recognize him. I'm going to come and take on human form and no one's going to recognize me. I'm going to come and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to live under the created order that I created. And then I'm going to do all of this in a way that's going to force you to believe by faith through grace in something. That's going to force and challenge you. For it is the most bizarre plan. Isn't it a wild plan 
that God's desire and design to come into the world to save you is through the person of Jesus Christ. And that the way that he gets the message out is that each year we tell this same story over and over and over again. It would seem that it would be better for him if the angels, instead of speaking to a few shepherds over on a hillside, would have spoken to all of creation simultaneously. They could have done it, but they didn't. Or that he would keep doing it year after year, reminding us of these things. So that as you leave tonight and you go, well, that was a meaningful service. That was nice. I'm still not sure whether I'm, I believe it or not. And you walk out the doors into the parking lots and the heavens open and the angelic presence of all created angels looks down and says, it's real. It's legitimate. You should believe tonight. Jesus is real. You might go, oh, oh wow, this is real. I'm gonna, okay, I'll accept it. But God doesn't do it in that way. He does it in the most bizarre ways. That he presents this gospel to us that says, believe by faith in someone you haven't seen but is more real than anything you've ever seen. Believe by faith and gain a life that is a better life than you ever could have dreamed, imagined to live or experience, but to do it by faith. So there's this incredible promise This bold promise brought to us in a bizarre plan that within that plan is a beautiful purpose and will end there. But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which which conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. God came into the world for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose was to save us from our sins. Other religions and beliefs include interaction between humanity and deity. Many of them do. But the Greeks, for instance, understood that the gods often interacted with humans out of their lust for power, for sex, for anger, for pleasure. Christianity simply says that God came into the world. That he came into the world to save you, that it was a mission of compassion. It it was a mission by which he said, I love you so much that I'm unwilling to leave you in the mess that you have created in the mess in which you find yourself in bondage. And I am coming to break the bonds of sin and death that are on you. (coughs) I've come so that I can give you freedom and life and this life to live eternally and abundantly and the good news of the gospel. You see, it's an incredible purpose that he gives us. He says, I'm going to free you from sin and you're going to go, oh, there's the word sin. Okay, I can't listen to this guy anymore because he's using sin and I don't believe in sin because sin is missing the mark or sin is disobedience to God. Well, let me reframe it for you for a moment. Sin is this. Sin is putting ourselves in the place of God and acting as if there's no God. It's saying that I'm going to do whatever I want to do, however I want to do it. It's saying at the end of the day that I'm the way, that I'm the truth. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'm the life. Can you grab my water for me? Thanks, Chris. <laughs> that would have been bad. So. so if you want to know why, You're celebrating Christmas. 
If you want to know why we come and we celebrate tonight, and then on Christmas Eve of all nights, we have communion, it's because that's why Christ came. You realize that, right? He comes to surprise you. He comes to give you something that you thought was too good to even imagine or dream. He comes to give you something that you can never pay for in a million lifetimes with a million wealth. He, he, all that you have, he's saying, I've come to give this to you. And I want you to experience tonight life, and that life abundantly. I don't know if you're going to open your presents tonight. I don't know if you're going to open them tomorrow. But I want you to know this, that the greatest gift that you can receive is tonight believing that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That Christ Jesus came into the world to offer you a gift that you do not deserve. A gift that you can receive by faith, by grace in Him that says this here. And what He's giving to you is life and that life eternal. He's given to you a present that will make you regale at the end of every day when asked, what's the greatest gift you've ever received? Somewhere deep down inside of you go, it's the gift of Jesus Christ. Because I know within that gift, it gives me eternity with Him and a forgiveness and a freedom that I have. And it's a gift Truly a gift that you want to share with everybody else who's around you. So go celebrate fully tonight around your table, around your tree. Experience the gifts. But never, ever, never diminish or underestimate this incredibly bold promise that God made to come and to dwell among us. That he did it in this crazy, bizarre plan, but for the distinct and for the exacting purpose of saving you from our sins. Because folks, there's nothing else in the world that gives you that. If you think that at the end of the day, you're going to be able to present your life and say of your life, God, look at me. And all that I've done. Look at how good I am. Look at all of this. It still doesn't measure up. And what Jesus Christ offers you in the middle of this is a gift. <clears throat> and as we come to this table, the gift says this. This bread, it represents Christ's life, his, his body. He says, I was real and I was legitimate and I was tangible. And I lived the perfect life that you couldn't live. And in that, I'm going to present to my Father in heaven my life for yours. Isn't that incredible that he's saying this? God, Father, take my perfection and do it in place of Bill's imperfection. And then this cup, this, this juice that we drink, is representative of the blood of Christ, which says this. If the body was his presentation to God of a perfect life on behalf of mine, but God says, but there has to be justice for all of Bill's sins, for all of Bill's messing up. There has to be justice. Someone has to pay for Bill's rebellion. Someone has to pay for Bill thinking and in his arrogance, thinking that he was better and equal and more than me, that he could live his life. However, Christ would say this, let my blood be sufficient to take his punishment. Take my blood instead as penalty and as payment for your justice. 
And in the beauty of this incredible transaction, what is afforded you tonight, maybe for the first time, is to walk out of here knowing this without a shadow of a doubt. You are a child of the King, a son or a daughter of God, adopted by Him, purchased with a price, and now secure and safe forever in Him. And there is no better gift that you could ever receive this evening. And so as we come tonight, I want you to consider that. That this is not a Presbyterian table. That this is Christ's table. And for all of those who have placed their faith in Christ, we invite you to come. Let me pray.